turn with me to the book of Hebrews once again, Hebrews chapter 13. Together we'll be studying verses 1 to 8 this morning. And when you get there, Hebrews chapter 13, would you rise if you're able, rise out of reverence for God's holy word as we read together. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their life or their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is the holy word of God. You may be seated. I want to begin this morning by once again wishing all of the men here today a happy Father's Day. Whether you're a father or a grandfather or a husband or an uncle or a friend or a future father, we give God thanks for you. Fatherhood is such an important role, both as physical fathers in the family, but also as spiritual fathers. And we are grateful for the men among us who seek to honor Jesus Christ and reflect the fatherhood of God, our Heavenly Father. Let us begin our study of God's Word this morning by looking back at the, the two verses of the last chapter, chapter 12. So that's verses 28 and 29. It says there, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our passage today, in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 13, is full of practical instructions on living out the Christian life. What does it look like to live as a Christian? Hebrews is going to tell us. But the point is that living as a Christian is a response of gratitude that we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. And while we wait for that unshakable kingdom, we are called to worship God with reverence and awe, it says here. And out of this reverence and awe for God, our passage this morning tells us how we ought to live while we wait for that kingdom. 
we awe and revere this holy God. And so this morning we're going to look at three points. Verses 1 to 4, we're going to look at living out Philadelphia. God wants us to live out brotherly love. And second point, God wants us to find true contentment in himself. That's verses 5 to 6. And finally, our third point this morning, God wants us to imitate our mentors in the faith. That's verses 7 and 8. So live out brotherly love, find true contentment in God, and imitate your mentors in the faith. And so in our first point this morning, we see that God wants us as Christians to live out Philadelphia. That doesn't mean move to Philadelphia, that's a city in the States. Philadelphia means brotherly love, and that's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love, because that's what the word means. But God wants us as Christians to live out Philadelphia. That is, to live out brotherly and sisterly love. And that's what's directly stated in verse 1. It simply says, let Philadelphia remain. Let brotherly love continue. But then in verses 2, 3, and 4, Hebrews gives us three practical examples of what brotherly love then looks like. But as we consider verse 1, we see that Hebrews is not commanding us to begin to love each other with brotherly love. He doesn't say start doing this, but rather he is assuming that it's already there. And that we're supposed to continue in it. But what is Philadelphia? What is brotherly love? Well, clearly, it's a family love where you treat another person as a brother or a sister, and then you treat them accordingly as if they were family. But what is this family love based upon? Is it because we all live in the same geographical area? Or is it because we all live in Canada? Is it because we all speak English? Is it because we're all humans and we share in humanity? Is it because the Raptors won the NBA title? No, none of these things form our family bond. Our Philadelphia is based fully and completely upon Jesus Christ and our shared faith in him. So the term brotherly love means something deeper for Christians, doesn't it? It means our love based on our brotherhood and sisterhood that we possess in Christ, that we share in Christ. That's what our brotherhood is based on. In the Bible, Christians refer to each other as brother and sister. And is that just because they're being extra nice to one another? Or is there something deeper and more serious being understood there? It is because if you believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe in Jesus Christ, then he is the tightest bond that's possible between people, even tighter than your physical family. Why is that? Because this is a bond that transcends this life. It's an eternal bond that goes into eternity. And so if you don't have love for your fellow Christians, then in all likelihood you yourself are not a Christian. 
The Bible says as much. In 1 John 3.14, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. And again, in 1 John 4.20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, meaning his fellow Christian, his brother in Christ, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Therefore, Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. This means keep working hard at loving your fellow Christians. And love takes effort, doesn't it? Love doesn't often flow naturally. Love oftentimes requires some hard work and some effort. Sometimes you have to love someone you don't even like very much. That's what being part of a family is all about. I know when I go to some family reunions, there are some folks there that, yeah, they're family, but I don't know if I want to talk to them otherwise. Sometimes you have to love people that you don't even like too much. Because love is deeper than just liking someone. Sometimes you have to love even when you don't have a feeling of love. That's because biblically speaking, love is not an emotion. According to the Bible, love is not a feeling. But rather, love is an action. It's a choice. It's a commitment. It's a mindset. Now, the thing about family, and I'm sure we all have perfect families here, that we just, no one will be able to relate to what I'm about to say, I know. But the thing about family is that sometimes we offend one another. We hurt each other's feelings. We have misunderstandings. We miscommunicate. In short, we sin against one another. That can happen in the church family as well. And it's easy to love one another on a surface level. When everyone is just being very nice and careful and no toes are being stepped on and no noses are being put out of joint. But that's a very easy kind of love. It's a shallow kind of love too. But love, real love is tested. It's tested as something real, as it's refined in the fires of conflict and repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. Christian love values and honors the deeper bond of fellowship that is shared in Christ. Christian love does not take its skipping hope rope and go home. Christian love does not leave just because things are uncomfortable. Christian love engages. Christian love says that even though this person may have hurt my feelings, our bond in Christ goes deeper. And so in love, I can take my offense to that person and we can repent before the Lord together in order to reconcile and build a stronger love. This is what the Lord Jesus himself commanded. And yet so few Christians seem willing to obey the command of Christ. Remember what he said in Matthew 18, verse 15? He said, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Let me read that again. This is the command of Jesus. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault 
between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Matthew 18, verse 15. I highly recommend that we all go and read that over and think about that very deeply. Because that is what Christian love does. Christian love doesn't gossip about the problem with others. Christian love doesn't bottle it all up inside. Christian love doesn't act passive-aggressively. Christian love doesn't look for opportunities for revenge. Christian love goes directly to the source and addresses the issue. What is the proper result? What is the proper result if both parties are seeking to honor Christ? I love how the Lord puts it there. He says, you have gained your brother. That's like saying, you have preserved your brotherhood. You have continued in Philadelphia. Brothers and sisters, the depth of our Christian love shines through how we handle conflict with one another. None of us has been fully sanctified yet. All of us still struggle with sin. And because of that reality, we will eventually offend and hurt one another. We cannot prevent that from happening. But what we can control is how we respond when we are hurt or offended. Will we obey the Lord by seeking reconciliation through forgiveness in a spirit of love? Or will we disobey him by wallowing in the offense, giving in to our anger, refusing to pursue reconciliation, refusing to forgive? And so Hebrews tells us, let brotherly love continue. Because we have been forgiven, such a great debt drowned in the blood of Christ. Because our God is a consuming fire, let our brotherly and sisterly love in this church family not only continue, but let it also deepen. Verses 2 to 4 go on to give us three uh, practical examples of how Philadelphia is carried out. So verse 2 addresses how we treat strangers. Verse 3 focuses on how we treat our fellow Christians who are suffering. And verse 4 talks about how we are to value the covenant of marriage. And so what are some ways that we live out Christian brotherly love? Well, verse 2 gives us an example. It says, brotherly love continues through hospitality shown to strangers. And in this verse, when Hebrews says that some have entertained angels unawares, he probably has in mind the Old Testament examples of Abraham and Gideon and Samson's parents. In each of these stories, these people showed hospitality to a stranger who turned out to be the angel of the Lord. And the point that Hebrews is making here is that you never know whom you might be welcoming into your home. So treat them well. Treat them kindly. And if that is how we're supposed to treat strangers, how much more should we be practicing hospitality among ourselves in the church? Brotherly love grows as we get to know each other better. And one of the best ways to get to know anyone better is to invite them into your home. The second example Hebrews gives us for how brotherly love continues is to remember our fellow Christians who are suffering. At the time that Hebrews is writing, Christians are being thrown in jail for their faith. 
According to chapter 12, the previous chapter, he makes a point that they're not being executed yet, but they are spending time in prison. Hebrews says, remember them as if you were also in jail with them as fellow prisoners. If anyone is suffering persecution and being mistreated, stand with them as part of the one body of Christ. For if one body part suffers, the whole body feels the pain. Now here at Streetsville Baptist Church, we don't have anyone in prison yet. We don't really have anyone being mistreated or persecuted for their faith yet. But the principle in view here is to remember suffering Christians, and to suffer along with them. Do we have brothers and sisters who are suffering? Yes, we sure do. We have our homebound members that we need to remember. We have those who are sick or maybe going to the hospital or facing an uncertain future. And so is it just the job of church leaders to remember those who are suffering? Or is this something that we should all be doing continually together? And I know that all of us do a pretty good job of this already. So it's an encouragement to keep doing that and keep growing in that. Remember those among us who are suffering. Let us continue to look for opportunities to remember and encourage and help those among us who are suffering. The third example Hebrews lists here for the continuing of brotherly love concerns marriage. Verse 4 says, Let the marriage bed, sorry, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I show Christian love to my brothers and sisters by holding covenant marriage in very high regard. The Lord Jesus said that God himself has joined a man and a woman together in marriage to become one flesh. And what God himself has joined together, mere mortals cannot undo. And some people we hear from time to time, they like to say, well, I don't believe in marriage. And others like to say, well, marriage is just a piece of paper, isn't it? But anyone who says such things does not have a God-honoring mindset. For it was God who invented marriage. He designed it. He instituted it. He implemented it. And he established it. People who don't think much of marriage don't think much of the one who ordained marriage in the first place. Hebrews adds that the way that we hold marriage in high honor is by not defiling the marriage bed. There are two ways to defile the marriage bed, he says here, either by ignoring the covenant of marriage through sexual immorality or by breaking the covenant of marriage through adultery. Sexual immorality, the blunt word there is fornication. And that's all sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. And Hebrews gives us a sober warning here in this verse. And remember that he's talking directly to Christians here. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And this just confirms what Scripture tells us over and over again, that as Christians, we cannot engage in such things. For sexual immorality, in whatever form it may take, dishonors God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has called us to continue in brotherly love to our family bond that we share in Christ. And that's a family bond that that transcends ethnicity, 
It transcends uh, our, our family backgrounds. It transcends every category that may divide us otherwise. It brings us together in a family bond in Christ. And some ways we do this is by showing hospitality, by remembering those among us who are suffering, and by holding the covenant of marriage in high honor and esteem. So that is our first point this morning, that God wants us to continue in brotherly love. And our second point this morning comes from verses 5 to 6. God wants us to find true contentment in Him. So verse 5 says, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's study verse 5 very closely. Because what is Hebrew setting side by side here? Well, there's love of money on the one side. But what is money love being contrasted with? Well, with God himself, isn't it? When we love money, we are not content with what we have. Are we resting in God then? Are we depending upon God? Are we looking for God? No, of course not. We're looking for more money. We're depending upon money. We are desiring all the things that money can bring us. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Apostle Paul agrees in 1 Timothy 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The problem with money and wealth is that it will never truly bring contentment or satisfaction. Why? Because there will always be just a little bit more to get. True contentment can only come by resting in the God who created all things. And he has given us this great promise here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can lose all of your money. You can lose all of your security. You can lose all of your friends. But God will never leave or forsake his children. And if the living God, the Lord of heaven and earth, is with us and will never leave us, or forsake us. If the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. If the Lord is my helper, then of what shall I be afraid? Realistically speaking, if God is with me, who can be against me? What can a mere man do to me? Well, if you think about it, a mere man can do quite a lot to you. He can take away my reputation. He can take away my possessions. 
can take away what is dearest to me. He can take away my liberty. He can even take away my life. That's actually quite a lot that he can do to me. But the one thing that he can never do or take away from me is my soul. And if God will never leave me nor forsake me, then I can never be taken away from him. The Lord said in Matthew 10, 28, he said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm sure that's a familiar statement to us, but what is the flip side of that declaration? The flip side of that, Jesus is actually saying that to comfort his disciples, to give them courage and boldness. The flip side is that the most that a mere man can do to you is kill you. That is, kill your body. That's the most he can do. But if God has your soul safe in his hands, then dying is just like changing your clothes, taking off your mortal body to put on your immortal body. Money cannot give us true and lasting contentment. Only God can do that. Money focuses on me, my life, my problems, my goals, my dreams, my ambitions, me, me, me. So then the love of money, really, it all boils down to love of myself. But in contrast, true contentment means being consumed with God, being enraptured with his glory, enamored with his goodness, awed by his love, overwhelmed by his mercy, humbled by his sovereignty entranced by his grace. So God wants us to continue in brotherly love. And he also wants us to find our contentment in him. We come to our last point this morning for verses 7 to 8. God wants us to imitate our mentors in the faith. This is what living out the Christian life looks like. As we wait for our unshakable kingdom and as we Worship our God with reverence and awe. We look to those who have run the race a little farther down the course. And we seek to imitate them. So verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of, the way, of their way of life and imitate their faith. And notice with me here how Hebrews uses the past tense. He says, They spoke the word of God. The word of God is the gospel message of Jesus. Remember the ones who shared the gospel with you and discipled you and taught you from scripture the truth of God. And Hebrews says, consider the outcome of their lives. That means how they were faithful until death. How they fought the good fight and how they finished the race. And Hebrews says to us, imitate their faith Copy their faithfulness. Follow their example of how they hung on to the very end. Trust in the same one that they trusted in. You see, brothers and sisters, we not only have a cloud of witnesses in the Faith Hall of Fame from the Old Testament and throughout all of church history, the faithful believers in Jesus Christ who have gone before us, 
but we even have faithful mentors and leaders in our own lives who have showed us what it looks like, what it means to live faithfully for Jesus Christ, and even what it looks like to die in the peace of knowing Jesus Christ. It may be a Sunday school teacher, or it may be a godly parent or grandparent, or it may be a pastor or a church leader, or it may be an aunt or a spiritual mother. It may be a Bible study leader or a discipleship partner. It may be your spouse. It may be a Christian friend. Whoever it is that God has sovereignly brought into your life to show you what faithfulness to Jesus Christ looks like, imitate them. First Satan says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What a glorious statement that is. What a divine declaration. How can Jesus be the same yesterday and today and forever if he is not God? Because how far does yesterday go into the past? It goes into the eternal past, doesn't it? And only God existed in the infinite eternal past. And how far into the future does tomorrow go? It goes into the eternal future, doesn't it? So because he is God, Jesus Christ is the same past, present, and future. And Jesus doesn't change. We change. We change all the time, don't we? We are different today than we were yesterday. And tomorrow will be different again. But Jesus does not change. He is always the same. And that's why we can depend upon him. He is the rock that we can cling to. Our mentors may change. Our church leaders may come and go. Some Christians we thought were faithful can fall away. Christian friends can grow cold in their faith. And maybe we even mature beyond them. Jesus is the only constant that we can rely on in this life. Yesterday, Jesus was Jesus. Today, Jesus is Jesus. And tomorrow, Jesus will be Jesus until forever. What a blessed thought it is that what is true of Jesus himself is also true of the gospel. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus' blood cleanses sinners yesterday. Jesus' blood cleanses sinners today. And Jesus' blood will cleanse sinners for all eternity. And so why should we love one another with brotherly love? Because Jesus first loved us. We were strangers. We were in prison. We were fallen in sin. We loved money and ourselves. And yet Jesus loved us enough to become our adopted brother. To bring us into his inheritance. And to love us with true Philadelphia. We sought contentment in ourselves. And Jesus turned us around to seek contentment in God alone. For it is only in Jesus Christ that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is only forsakenness. 
And this Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the object of our faith as we imitate the faithful Christians in our lives who have run the race before us, showing us that, yes, this Jesus is worth it all. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts to help us to understand what brotherly love looks like. To help us to continue in it and also to grow in deepening that Christian love that is founded upon our common bond of fellowship through our faith in Christ. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is the one who is fully God and fully man. And so as God, he cannot change. But as man, he entered into our changefulness. And he changed everything for us. For we could change nothing in ourselves. But by faith in him alone, we can cling to this promise that God will never leave us nor will he ever forsake us. Because while we are sinners, Jesus Christ is not. And Jesus Christ is our lifeline. And because God will never forsake or leave Jesus Christ, therefore God will never forsake or leave those who are in Jesus Christ through faith. Father, help us to grow in understanding these things. But Father, may it not just tickle our minds, but may it rather trickle down into our hearts and out through our hands and our feet so that we put these things into action, Father. Help us to honor marriage. Help us to remember our fellow Christians who are suffering. Help us to grow in hospitality, the, the hospitality that seeks to get to know one another in a deeper way so that we can encourage one another and, and press each other on to finish the race before us. Father, surround us with good and godly mentors who show us what faithfulness looks like, even to the very end. Who show us what it looks like to live for Jesus. Father, we thank you for your grace. Without your grace, we could not take even one step towards serving you. So, Father, we understand this is all by your grace. And we give you praise and thanksgiving for it. As we look forward to that unshakable kingdom, let us continue to worship you with reverence and awe. For indeed, you are a consuming fire. So in Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.